0: Perhaps you were among the crowds that stormed the Capitol on that fateful day in 1917. Some shouting for war, some crying for peace. Inside the White House, President Woodrow Wilson conferred with advisors and signed the proclamation of war against Germany. Me,
1: the year was 1917 and the United States has just entered World War I. Now see, that year is massively important to the world for lots of different reasons and into this discussion, it's got its own significance. This is Matthew Sweezy, and you're listening to episode three of the Electronic Propaganda Society, a nine series investigation tracing the cause and effects of June 24th, 2009. In this episode, we're gonna go back in time and look at the founding of a lot of marketing fundamentals and see if those founding ideas still hold water in our modern environment. To start off this discussion and investigation, I want us to focus on this one guy, and his name is Edward Bernays. Bernays was a small town newspaper editor and play promoter back in 1917, but as soon as war broke out, he felt so compelled to join the military that he enlisted. Unfortunately, due to some medical issues, they said no thanks. But not to be put aside, Bernays persisted and ends up landing a job with the CPI. Now, the CPI was the Committee on Public Information. Its sole role was to influence public opinion and support for the war. Bernays would become one of their shining stars and help cede dissent behind enemy lines and sell war bonds here at home. He was a key player in the success of the war. However, the war only lasted a short time. And on August 21st, 1919, Woodrow Wilson, then president, ended the CPI with order 3154. Bernays was now out of work. So what was this propagandist to do in a time of peace? Just about that same time of this, Bernays was in contact with his uncle. And his uncle is none other than Sigmund Freud. Now Freud sent Bernays his latest book on psychotherapy and Bernays began to put the pieces together. See, Bernays already knew the power of media and its ability to influence the masses. Since he had mastered this to sell war bonds, he had combined this idea with his deeper understanding of psychology that he learned from his uncle Freud to understand why this was the case. See, he wasn't just selling war bonds anymore, he was connecting to a deeper part of the human's inner desires And that's when the light bulb went off. Bernays then rents his first office space and knows he just can't call this new practice propaganda since propaganda already has a bad connotation. So instead, he gets crafty and calls this new idea a public relations firm. And the rest is history. Hi, doctor. Good to see you. Come on up over here. There you go. Doctor, what, uh, tell me again what the doctor is. What are we dealing with? Well, You're the father of uh, public relations. What we're dealing
0: with really is the concept that people will believe me more if you call me doctor. Oh, I see. <laughs> so.
1: That was Edward Bernays on The Letterman Show back in 1984. Sadly enough, Bernays doesn't make it to the infinite media era, But if he had, I completely believe that he would agree with me, that his idea was only made for the limited media era and not suited for the infinite media era. Now, I only make this bold claim because of something that Bernays wrote in his 1923 classic, Crystallizing Public Opinion. Listen to Bernays' words. People accept the facts which come to them through existing channels. They like to hear new things in accustomed ways. They have neither the time nor the inclination to search for facts that are not readily available to them. Alright, let's break this down. The three key things about this statement are first, the context of the time. Right, This is 1923. Information was very limited and finding information was even harder. I mean, the Dewey Decimal System was still the standard process for finding things. Next, are the keywords time and search. He says we don't have the time or inclination to search. Now let's contrast these ideas with our current environment. First off, we live in the infinite media environment as I've stated, which means that the information that we seek is there and we know it's there. Second is then accessing that information. It's extremely easy for us to access that information. In fact, in 2015, mobile search overtook desktop search. Meaning that more people are searching online from their mobile devices than they are from an actual computer. Meaning that wherever they are, they're asking questions to that infinite media. Meaning that idea and notion of time and inclination to search do not apply in the infinite era. So let's wrap this up. Now, why do I believe that Bernays would agree with me that the idea that made him famous that got him onto Letterman is no longer applicable in the Infinite Era? Well, it's simple. He says so. Now, yes, some of Bernays' underlying core theories are still correct, mainly the idea of connecting to somebody's inner desires. That will always be true because that's about relating to a human. The idea that using mass media to then persuade somebody is no longer correct because there is a more powerful and more persuasive way of doing that given our new environment. That more powerful way? Well that's self-discovery. Think about this simple story that has happened to everyone. You give your boss an idea and they don't really care, They're like, whatever. And then two weeks later they call you into their office to explain this amazing idea they've had, which is really just a paraphrasing of the idea you already gave them, but this time, they love it. See, when you give them the idea, they don't like it, they don't care, but when it's their idea, they love it. So now, put this in context with Bernays. If we believe that persuading people is best done by forcing messages upon them from the outside, that's failed, because now there is a better, more powerful way, searching, which allows somebody to discover things on their own. And see, here's the key. When you push something on somebody, they don't trust it near as much as when they find it on their own. Hence, self-discovery yields trusted answers. Now, once again, you're probably saying yes, but. Yes, you just can't force messages onto people, but, If you put the right message in front of the right person at the right time, that works. Yet, not so much. This notion has been a foundational idea of marketing for a very long time. And this simple theory is really fueling a massive ad tech boom allowing us to put the correct message in front of the correct person at the right time. Now to dispel this idea, I want us to look at the most powerful software ever to have existed to allow us to do this. And that is Google AdWords. And to do a little bit more digging around AdWords, I want to introduce you to Larry Kim. Larry's the CEO of a company called WordStream. They're one of the largest software providers for AdWords tools. Now, Larry did a research study over the course of two years. He looked at over 10,000 of their clients and over a billion dollars spent on AdWords. And what they found was pretty amazing. An average
0: conversion rate for across, you know, paid search advertising is around two and a half percent. But 10 percent of advertisers are doing around, uh, you know, it it varies, but it's around five times better than than just the average advertiser. All
1: right. Larry just kind of rolls those numbers off, but I want to kind of put a little bit more punch behind them. I want you to really think about this. This is a billion dollars worth of spending that we're looking at. And we're looking at this on the most targeted advertising platform ever to exist on the planet. Which means that this idea of right message, right person, right time, can't get any better than this. And this is the largest study looking at this. And when you put those things together and you realize that at best, at best, we're still going to fail 90% of the time. And then realize that actually 90% of us are going to be average and it's going to fail 98% of the time? This is mind-blowing. That idea that we've had, it was theoretically correct, but in actuality, it doesn't hold any truth. Just think about this. Go look at your Google search results page right now. Go back two years. You remember how there used to be a right-hand sidebar of advertisements? Yeah, Google stopped doing that, and you know why? It's because the conversion rates were too low. If the world's most powerful software company in the world can't make this idea of right message, right person, right time work, how in the hell do we think we can? Now going back to what Larry said, he said there is a massive difference between the average and the high performers. So let's look at this and let's see if there's any insights that we can gain. Now I'm going to turn it back over to Larry to let him explain to you what the key differences are from the high performers and everybody else.
0: There's two really strong predictors of conversion rate. So, and we're focusing on all the wrong things. So the conventional wisdom says that it's all about like, I don't know, the button colors or the image placement, you know, like little, little, little things like this. Um, what I'm finding is that the, the most correlated to conversion are a brand affinity, like so, like have the has the user heard of you before? The other most discriminating uh, characteristic is click-through rate. The reason why that is is because you've promised an exciting experience the in the ad copy, okay? Uh, and, and so that's just it's just that experience playing it out itself out to to conclusion.
1: So that foundational idea of right message, right person, right time, we can see really doesn't work. And then when Larry starts to actually dig into the data and tell us what works, it's two things. Do they know who we are, i.e. do they trust us and feel comfortable with us? And second, are we creating the correct experience? All of those things that we think we're supposed to be doing. As Larry says, actually have no bearing on your conversions. Interesting. Now, Larry did bring up a great point, and that was have they heard of us before? And this is going to lead us into our next foundational aspect of marketing that I really want to debunk and that is the idea of branding. See, the traditional idea of branding is all about projecting what you think you want the world to know. Now, this totally worked in the limited era because whatever message we put out into the world, it wasn't possible to create an alternative narrative. But I want you to think about branding now. And I really want to start this off by giving you a story that actually happened to me while I was on the road in Chicago. So, I'm sitting there, flipping through some YouTube channels, trying to find some stuff, and this ad pops up before one of my videos, and I watch it. Here it is. Ship my pants? Right here? Ship my pants, you're kidding. You can ship your pants
0: right here. You hear that? I can ship my pants for free. Wow, I just may ship my pants. Yeah, ship your pants. Billy, you can ship your pants too. I can't wait to ship my pants, Dad. I just shipped my pants, and it's very convenient. Very convenient.
1: There is no denying the creativity or the mass amount of humor that this advertisement has. It's phenomenal. In fact, it's so phenomenal that it wins at the Keynes Lions Festival, which is the equivalent to the Grammys of the advertising world. But now, let's play this scenario out. So I see this great ad for this place, and I decide I want to go check it out. But see, I'm not from Chicago, so I've got to get directions. So how do I do that? Well, I go to Google and ask Google, but Google does one better. It says, you want directions, but let me also give you the ratings and reviews of all the local stores around you. And you know what that was? The average rating for all of the local stores I could have gone to was a 2.5 nobody goes to anything with a number of 2.5 so I said all right let's check this out I'll just go to their website and see if I can continue there I go to the website and this is where shit really falls apart I kid you not the website is broken there's a floating ad block on top of all of the images and all the copy so I gave them the benefit of the doubt I closed down my browser, shut down my computer, restarted it all up and went back to the website. It was still broken. Now let's recap real quick. This company spends tens of millions of dollars to create this phenomenal advertisement that wins all these creative awards. Then they launch it out into the world. And when I looked at it, I believe that the statistic was that this uh, ad saw about 15 million hits in the first couple weeks. Right? Phenomenal, creative, highly viral video. But then, it drove me to two massively negative experiences. In fact, those experiences were so bad that the brand is now worse off than when they began. That is not what we want to have happen from a branding advertisement. And here's why they failed. Because they still believe that branding is what you say and what you project to the world. Rather than understanding that the modern definition of brand is the sum of all experiences.
0: Hey, have you heard about the crazy new way? To send the message today. It flashed on a screen, too quick to see. But still you get it subliminally. Put on your, backstop,
1: put on your Did you catch that? Yeah, that's corporate America trying by any means necessary to weasel their way into your memory. And in fact, this is a 1959 Chevy commercial that aired on the television featuring Pat Boone and Dinah Shore. And yes. They are singing about the power of subliminal messaging. I wanted to feature this clip because it kind of leads us into this next section really, really well. See, we've already talked about a couple of major foundational ideas that have been around for a long time. You know, public relations, the idea of right message, right person, right time. And really the last one that we're really going to dig into today is this idea of being top of mind. The notion to be top of mind really has a lot to do with the environment and the human's decision making processes within that environment. So let me start there real quick. If you go back to the limited era and you have to make a decision, you need to kind of put yourself in that person's shoes. See, to make a decision, you need information. But in the limited media era, information was hard to come by. So you really only had three places to get information. You had your memory, you had the product that you may be looking at on the shelf, or you had the ability to ask somebody else next to you. Now, of those three options, as we discussed earlier, if you have an opinion, that is going to be the most trusted piece of information you have, hence the most persuasive thing to help you guide your decisions. And see, all these businesses know that, which is why we see commercials just like this one with Pat and Dinah from the 50s but it also creates a whole lot of other long-standing marketing ideas. Now let's pick a couple of these out and look at them between the two environments to see if they still are actually true. And to start, I wanna look at the first one which is the notion that there is no such thing as bad press. This is a really long-standing idea and it's really founded in the way that our memory works or I should say used to work. See, if you read a story that was bad press back in the day, you're likely to remember a couple of key things, and those are really the main points. Not necessarily why those things were connected, but you definitely remember the name of the business inside of that. Now, when you then see that name again, you're likely to recognize it, though you're not likely to understand why you recognize it. Now contrast that with the modern era, and let's just go back to that example I gave of me in Chicago. See when I asked the question about a business, the internet surfaced up all contextual media and a majority of that contextual media was that bad press. So there is no escaping it. And when I'm trying to make a decision and what is surfaced up is all the bad news about you, we saw the effect that that had on me and it has the exact same effect on you. So this notion that there is no such thing as bad press, yet that worked in a limited media environment But now in the infinite environment, bad press is bad. Can you dig it? The next thing I want to talk about is the other idea of backdooring our way into somebody's memory. And that really is repetition. Or the idea that we can repeat a message so many times in a marketplace that that is what people know and think. Like this example.
0: Head on, apply directly to the forehead. Head on, apply directly to the forehead. Head on, apply directly to the forehead. The
1: sadistic geniuses that created this advertisement really have frustrated the majority of all Americans. And theoretically, they're geniuses because simply repeating the same message and nothing else actually is a great way to get that message across in a limited media environment. So let's take two steps back. When you have the ability to project a message onto a captive audience and they have no recourse, this theory holds true. But when there is a different system, this doesn't necessarily work. And that different system is as follows. Remember that all of these channels now are going to be surfacing up things for engagement. Which means if I don't want to engage with this, or if I don't want to see this, or if they know that this is frustrating, they're not going to show it to me. So these types of messages are now filtered out of the infinite media environment. Thank God, because if I hear that commercial one more time, I swear I'm going to snap. All right, let's do a quick recap here. So first off, a lot of these long-standing theories that we have of marketing, they were all created for the limited media era. The notions of public relations, the idea of repetition, of backdooring our way into somebody's memory via their subconscious. All of these notions we have to remember were created when access to information was very hard. Now that access to information is ubiquitous and we can get the trusted answers instantly in the palm of our hands wherever we may be, the world is totally different those long-standing theories can't just be iterated upon, they've got to be wiped away because the foundational sets that they operate on don't exist anymore. And that's the whole point I've been trying to get across and the importance of that day of June 24th, 2009. See, when we entered the infinite media era, everything changed, including the foundations that these theories all sit upon. So we can't just take them forward we've got to ask the questions, why did we do them in the first place? And will they be applicable in the modern era? And as you can see, the answer many times is simply no. I want to thank you for listening today and hope you'll join me on the next episode of the Electronic Propaganda Society. we're really gonna dig into what we should then be doing in the Infinite Era and really get deep into this theory of context. But before we go today, I wanna leave you with one final thought. And this comes from the famous jazz musician out of New Orleans, Dr. John, where he famously says, maybe I was in the right place at the wrong time, maybe even the right song, but at the wrong line.